I would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. All opinions and discussions on the podcast are purely individual experience, so please consult a doctor or medical professional for more information. Welcome to the Shake It Up Show, a podcast in partnership with Shake It Up Australia Foundation for Parkinson's Research, where we speak to people whose lives have been impacted by Parkinson's disease and hear their stories. My name is Amy Louise Ruffle. I'm an actor, comedian, podcaster, and most importantly, a proud Shake It Up Australia ambassador in support of my dad who lives with Parkinson's. Today, we are joined by physiotherapist and associate professor Michelle Kalasaya, who is a principal research fellow at the Menzies Institute for Medical Research and also lives with Parkinson's disease. She has recently shared her story in the Australian Physiotherapy magazine, raising awareness of young onset Parkinson's disease. So there is a bit to talk about. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Amy. My pleasure. So maybe the way to start would be uh, in like the academic pursuits in your physiotherapy career. How did this all start? Why did you want to be a physio? (laughs) Well, it really started because I wanted to be a physio for the Olympic hockey team, but it didn't really end up like that. I became really, really interested in um, neurology and rehabilitation really early on when I was a student. And um, yeah, pretty much my whole career has now been working in the rehabilitation field, mainly in public hospitals, on inpatient wards, um, with a real interest, I suppose, in neurological disorders like stroke um, and and setting up um, a multiple sclerosis clinic very early on in Tasmania um, with a neurologist here. So, yeah, that's been my passion. Um, And I I just love working with people, um, you know, day after day to try and get them back to doing what they want to do. So how did you go? Obviously, I'm guessing uh, hockey was something that you maybe have have enjoyed in your life. How do you go from the passion for hockey (laughs) to then specialising in what you do now? What was that journey? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I mean, I was always very sporty, so it was kind of a natural thing to want to do. But I think I just really liked the multidisciplinary aspect of working with people um, and other health professionals and the real problem solving that you have to do when you see somebody Um, unable to walk or their walking pattern is slightly different and just working out the best way to go about that. So a lot of people, as I said, you know, had conditions um, that affected their brains and that was affecting their walking. And so I became really interested in all the different gait patterns and um, all the different ways that people had problems with their thinking and memory and how to best deliver those interventions. And so about, oh gosh, I think it was about probably 20 years ago now, um, I thought, oh, I'd really like to do some research in this area. And so with that, I enrolled in a PhD and started looking at the way people walk and how their brain um, and different cognitive functions affect that really early on in the ageing process and how that progresses. And so my research is really focused on two aspects of that. One is really trying to understand, yeah, how the different cognitive functions and areas of the brain with ageing affect people's physical function and how together physical function and cognition can maybe even pick up really early those that might go on to develop dementia. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it does seem that combination of gait, um, the way people walk and thinking is a really good way of increasing the sensitivity of picking up people. Um, and then the other part of my research is um, it's actually just been recently funded by a Medical Research Future Fund grant from the government um, looking at how to improve access to rehabilitation type interventions for people with dementia. So there's a lot of, I guess, stigma and lack of knowledge about what allied health professionals can do for people with dementia and how it can support them to um, maintain their independence for as long as possible and support care partners. And so um, there's lots of barriers and problems in the way at the moment. And so my project's really focusing on what we can do to improve um, general practitioner and allied health professional knowledge in the area and try and create better pathways. Well, that's a lot of incredibly important research. What you've learnt over that time of the past 20 years, have you been able to sort of implement that into your physio practices? Like what has that research then done, I guess, on a very tangible level to your practice with patients? Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm actually not working at the moment as a physiotherapist. I stopped a couple of years ago really just to concentrate on the research, but um I I think it really helped me think about when I was working um, clinically about, yeah, the impact that the brain and thinking does have on physical function and how we as physiotherapists have to modify our treatment depending on the type um, of thinking problem that the someone might have. So if it's memory, you know, we need to better work out how we can deliver exercises so people, you know, remember them and instructions. But then if it's more of a a planning problem or a processing problem, we need to put in strategies to help someone, um, I guess, plan how they're going to do their exercises during their day or modify our communication strategies with people so that um, they have time to, I guess, take in our instructions and respond. Mm -hmm. So it really sounds like the overarching thing of that is like very much personalising the sessions rather than having a more general approach. Absolutely. And I think um, as, as physiotherapists, we haven't been taught a lot about um, modifying how we deliver our treatment depending on someone's thinking and memory. And so I think that's something that um, we, we could probably do better um, in, in physio school and after we've, um, you know, graduated. And that's part of um, the work of one of my PhD students, yeah. And also sounds like part of what, um, because the story that you have shared in the Australian Physiotherapy magazine is a lot about that too, of like trying to, I guess, highlight some issues and educate people. Do you want to tell us about the story or should we maybe go back in time to perhaps your personal (laughs) diagnosis and lead up to then being able to share that story? Yeah, look, that sounds fine. I'm happy to um, talk about yeah my story first, if that's that's okay. Um, yeah, so talk yes. to me about when you first noticed some symptoms or a change in your life. Sure. So um, I was a very keen trail runner on Mount Wellington, um, Kunani in Hobart, and you know that's kind of the way that I just love to spend my weekends with friends running. And um, one day I was finishing a run. It was a fairly long one, around the two-hour mark. I know that sounds crazy. <laughs> and running downhill and um, I just thought that my left leg was, I don't know, I, I couldn't control it and I um, got a real tightness in the calf and in the toes and I stopped and it, it went away and I didn't think much more of it. And so um, interestingly it kept on happening on a downhill run but earlier and earlier And then it was on flat runs, you know, only after 20 minutes. And I kind of knew that it wasn't a musculoskeletal problem, but I just couldn't work out what it was. And so 
I did see a physio um, and then I saw my GP and I had a couple of, you know, different tests. They thought it might have been compartment syndrome in my calf. Um, I saw a neurologist really early on, actually, after six months and had some other tests, but, you know, no one could really pick it up. Um, and then, of course, you know, I kind of getting started getting some weird, I felt I just couldn't walk properly. And so it felt like I was really rotated and that was, I think, just the slowness starting to creep into my running um, my really good friend then noticed I wasn't swinging my left arm, um, but I could make it swing and I could catch a frisbee, and so it just all didn't make sense. And yeah, I started having trouble typing, but then again, I thought, oh no, I'm just working really hard. Um, and then I started to get a tremor, and you know, I, I think it just all added up, and I knew that it just wasn't right. And so I went back to see that original neurologist, um, and then got sent to a movement disorder specialist and that whole process took um, two years and you know by that time I was really having some trouble um, you know walking and um, exercising and working as well so yeah I I don't think I would have liked to know really early on um, but certainly in the last six months I think having been diagnosed a little bit early would have been good to get on those medications so that I could continue to do what I wanted to do. Do you think one, I mean, obviously we hear a lot about um, it being a challenging process for people to get the the diagnosis. Do you think because Mm -hmm. you were so young that it wasn't something that was on people's radars for you to be living with? Yeah, look, definitely. I mean, I thought if anything, it was going to be multiple sclerosis um, or, but I still knew that, you know, the tremor didn't really add up and a lot of the symptoms didn't, didn't really add up to that either. Um, yeah, so, yeah, it, it was the last thing on my mind until, you know, I really started to get some more significant symptoms. I mean, you know, obviously the, the first neurologist when I saw them didn't think of it. Um, yeah, I, I really do. And, and the symptoms um, of the clenching in my toes, which were a very prominent feature early on, um, and not your typical Parkinson's symptom of a tremor or you know shuffling gait so um, it's interesting I've talked to lots of people who have worked even in the Parkinson's field and um, there just seems to be less knowledge that dystonia can be um, a really early symptom like it was for myself and also um, David who I wrote the article with. So when you did finally get that diagnosis what was sort of the feelings around that was it maybe like a bit of a relief at that time because like you said the symptoms had gotten bad but obviously such a young age it's a a challenge to process yeah it really was and um, I think because I'd seen people you know right in the end stages that's where my mind went and um, yeah it was it was a it was an awful shock and um, my mind just went was really reeling I think I just couldn't get it out of my head um, and one of the things that I think really did help um, going forward was seeing a psychologist and just um, talking it through and getting some techniques to, um, you know, break that cycle, I think, of thinking about it all the time. Um, so, yeah, look, access to early um, allied health, I think, has really saved me. Um, and, yeah, I, I think we could probably do a lot better in terms of offering that to people if they wanted it early on. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah, all of those allied health services are such an important factor of obviously um, seeing the neurologist and making a treatment plan there, but it's the mental side of it, the psychologist, but also, yeah, your other physical therapies that you can do that help the day-to-day as well that 
this whole podcast, I guess, is about sharing those things that won't necessarily work for everyone, but just trying to make sure people know these are the options that are available and can really assist in the management of Parkinson's. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I kind of read it early on that things like, um, you know, education and exercise and all those things um, are really helpful. And gosh, you know, I look back and um, yeah, they were just so important. I really think, you know, kind of learning as much as you can um, helps you work with a neurologist as well in terms of working out the exact treatment Um yeah, for you, for your, it's personalised medicine, isn't it? Yeah, very much like what you're studying, making sure it Well, it was person. it was so weird because, um, yeah, as I was getting that, that grant, I was kind of almost going through the same thing myself. So it was a bit weird. Yeah. That <laughs> and I think um, just having my background as well, um, yeah, it all just seemed a bit um, not, you know, it seems too much of a coincidence in some ways that, you know, I was studying um, similar kind of things about walking and thinking and, um, yeah, my research was in a similar area and my background in neurophysio, um, it all just seemed too much of a coincidence. Yeah, that is uncanny, isn't it? My goodness. So I'm, I'm not sure how long ago, and um, perhaps you, if you feel comfortable, you could share this with us, how long ago the diagnosis was and how your symptoms are today. Yeah, so, um, yeah, well, it was it was exactly two years ago yesterday. Um, I think most people will tell you they, they don't forget that, that day that they were diagnosed. Um, and I'd actually say that I'm probably the best that I've been um, during those two years right now. I really feel that I've got the medication right for now. Um, I, can, I can work. Um, I think I've got over that initial phase of the shock of it all and um, I guess... I don't know that you ever come to terms with it, but yeah, that did take me, I think, a good year to really um, yeah, come to terms with it. So yeah, I, I feel like I'm doing well. I can run um, if my medication is right. Um, and, you know, I've worked really hard on trying to get that right and doing all the exercises that you, you know, you should do. Um, yeah, so I, I feel like I'm doing well. So glad to hear that. That is absolutely wonderful news. And I think you kind of do have to give yourself grace in the time from diagnosis to yeah process it mentally, find yourself whatever your peace or acceptance is of that. But then, yeah, physically to allow yourself to figure out what is the new normal, how can I best manage this, especially given that normal, and I'm putting like inverted commas, constantly yeah. changes. So it is like a really hard balance to to maximise what your current status is. Oh, look, I so agree. Um, someone that I met really early on just said, you know, be kind to yourself. And, um, you know, I think that's really good message when you're first diagnosed. Um, and I think it does take time to kind of work out yeah, you know, the best medication for you and the best exercise regime and all of those things. Um, but I think, yeah, in along with the medication, all these other things, there is a lot you can do um, to be the best you can be with Parkinson's. Yeah. So you mentioned that you are doing, you found the specific exercises that are working for you. And especially given that you are a guru of physiotherapy, <laughs> what sort of stuff have you found really helpful for your personal situation? Yeah, um, so, well, I think first, you know, I've always loved exercise, so, you know, that's not the same for everybody else. But for me, I've always loved running and um, it's something that I've really wanted to continue to do, but with the dystonia, it does make it hard. So 
Um, I still run, but I have to really make sure that I go at particular times to do that. Um, but I'm very aware that I've had to start to do other types of exercise um, to get that buzz, I suppose, that I used to get from running. Um, so, yeah, I go to the gym um, twice a week and do boxing, um, which I know a lot of people on your podcast also do, which I love. Um, and with that, uh, we do some cognitive exercises, which I think your dad talked about as well in his um, session. So each punch or movement is a different number um, and so the instructor calls out a different number and you have to you know do what he says and he mixes it up so that's fantastic um, and then I do a lot of um, agility and power work as well my, my balance is good so I, um, I I don't do that as much but um, I do keep an eye on it so what I've done with my physiotherapist is just set up basically a range of different um, objective measures that we do every six months that um, are really at my level because I think one of the things that we mentioned in, in the article was that the, the normal neurology assessment doesn't pick up that really high level of function that a lot of younger people um, will be doing, you know, like running and, you know, whatever other activities. So um, what is recommended in terms of an assessment for Parkinson's, we've kind of changed that. So, you know, I kind of do a long jump and a six-minute run and um, keep an eye on those kind of things every six months so that we can pick up things early. So, yeah, so I try and do my aerobic training. I do a bit of resistance training and some um, agility speed work, yeah. It's a full program, but you're. I think everyone is loving the boxing. It's that perfect overlap of hopefully getting the buzz that you would have got from the high-level cardio of running, but you're also mentally having to be so present and focused on the patterning and um, I guess, yeah, the numbers and challenges that you're also getting from the instructor. And it's fun. I mean, I think, you know, that's such a key part of it, isn't it? You know, yeah. like... Um, if we can make exercise fun um, and enjoyable, and I think the other aspect um, that a lot of people have talked about um, is that social aspect as well. And, um, you know, it, it's um, it's hard to meet people, particularly um, at my age, who have Parkinson's. And so, you know, if there can be exercise classes where you can meet other people just um, socially like that is, is fantastic. Absolutely. That community element, not to go unrecognized in all of that. Now you did allude to this, the article in the Australian Physiotherapy Magazine mm. and sort of the purpose behind it. So you wanted to do a call to action to physiotherapists and neurologists to work together at the time of diagnosis. And I guess, like you said, making the, it's back to personalization again, making the process of um, diagnosis and measuring symptoms more personal because what you um, can and can't do will be different to someone that isn't a young onset Parkinson's person. So how did this all come to be that you were writing for um, this magazine? And then how's the reception been? Because the article is out. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think it was, um, I was just really surprised at two things. One, how little was known about younger onset. You know, people do always think of the older person. Um and secondly, I was surprised really myself having worked, you know, in neurology physio for a long time and my talking to my colleagues, how little was known about um, the benefit of early exercise after a diagnosis, you know, all the different benefits it had and then doing it myself, just being so amazed, which is crazy as a physiotherapist at how effective it was on my mood, um, my symptoms and um you know, I think just keeping people um, as active as possible, I'd really 
had stopped doing a lot of activity compared to, you know, two years before the diagnosis, so really trying to get back up to what I was doing. I think, um, yeah, there's just not enough, um, I think, knowledge about it. So the idea of the article really was to raise awareness on all of those areas, and it came about um, wonderfully. I, I had an opportunity to go to the World Parkinson's Congress in Barcelona last year, which was the most incredible experience um, I've never been to a conference like it. There was basically clinicians, researchers and people with Parkinson's and their care partners or family members and people with Parkinson's made up half of that conference. Anyway, I was it, it had everything. It had the latest science, it had practical stuff and it had a lot of fun in it as well in terms of presentations. And so I was sitting down listening to um, a comedy skit, actually, by um, the wonderful Paul Mather Archer, who wrote The Vicar of Dibley and who lives with Parkinson's, laughing away and sitting next to um, this guy. Anyway, started talking and he said, oh, I'm a neurologist from Australia and I'm, I'm living with Parkinson's. And I said, oh, I'm a physiotherapist living with Parkinson's. And we just started chatting and, um, yeah, ended up, um, yeah, uh, David and I wrote this article together to really try and raise awareness about yeah younger onset Parkinson's and how neurologists and physios can work together. Well, it sounds fabulous and like a resource that would be so beneficial. If there are physios and neurologists listening, how can they get a handle on this article? Um, so it's available on the Australian Physiotherapy website. Um, the magazine's called In Motion um, and it's the February issue. So people can access that really easily themselves online. And I think um, and you were going to maybe pop a link to it on, on, on the podcast site, which would be great. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, I think it's just all about, um, well, one, making sure that, you know, neurologists um do do mention exercise um but also they it'd be great if they could actually you know work out who in their local area um are the experienced physiotherapists because I think it really does make a difference if you see a physiotherapist who does have that knowledge about Parkinson's disease um super super important and then the physiotherapist often spends more time with the patient and will do um, measures that are really related to what the person wants to do. So, you know, in my kind of case, it was running. And so he goes, well, okay, this person's having trouble, um, you know, after 20 minutes of running, um, what can we do both exercise-wise but also medication-wise to make sure that this person can do what they want to do? Um, that can help in terms of tracking the disease. There's lots of you know, ways that um, we can track symptoms now with, you know, smart watches and things like that. Um, so that's really useful. But I think it's also just having that awareness that Parkinson's does affect more than, um, you know, physical function. So it affects things like motivation, ability to plan and initiate things, mood. So um, it's really working out what is best for the person in terms of planning that exercise. And so rather than... Um, you know, often what often happens is, okay, the neurologist might say, yep, exercise, go and do it, but um, without spending a lot of time um, working out how and the best ways to exercise, and that's where the physiotherapist can really help in that way. Um, yeah, working out motivational strategies or that might just be, you know, going with a friend or having a reward afterwards like a cup of coffee, um, writing it down and planning it into the day. There's so many different ways that can really um, help someone, you know, start up an exercise program. 
Yeah, if we like can connect all these services. So you guess have like a team approach rather than trying to do it individually. And if you're the person living with Parkinson's and it's a lot of new stuff, that's really hard to do. So if there's some way that we can get this collaboration to sort of uh, be there for them to then access, I think that would be such a stronger way to be doing treatment. Oh, look, a one-stop shop would be amazing. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, trying to kind of coordinate all different health professionals is, is often really tricky um, to do. But I think, I mean, I think if I had to give a message out to people too, I think people often say, you know, what kind of exercise is best and then the answer, you know, is often given, you know, whatever you enjoy. I think that is true to a point, but we also need to be thinking that um, exercise does need to be prescribed and each different type of exercise does have a very specific function. Um, so, for example, balance exercises, we know that um, we need to prescribe at least two to three hours um, a week of balance exercises to reduce falls, for example. So if that's the person's main problem, we need to be really prescribing it specific to, to the person. Um, and again, you know, aerobic and resistance training has, um, you know, very different kind of functions. So <laughs> it's hard because I think as people with Parkinson's, we're told to do so many different types, but I think really trying to focus on the type that's most beneficial and um, a physio can help work that out too. Well, I think that is a wonderful message to leave people on. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us today. We will put a link to the article in the show notes so people can have a read of uh, what you and David have put together. But thank you so much for sharing your story and for everything that you're doing in this space. We are lucky to have people like you that are getting that message out there. Thanks so much for having me, Amy. I really appreciate what you're doing as well. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Shake It Up Australia funds groundbreaking Australian research that aims to slow, stop and cure Parkinson's disease. And they need your help. To support Shake It Up's vision of a world without Parkinson's, head to shakeitup.org.au forward slash podcast. Together, we can find a cure.